officer's log. Supplemental. I never liked to plan my leave time, so when the nice lady in the holodeck made such stunning conversation, I couldn't help but show her what I could do. Played the trombone, of course. <laughs> Too bad the binars had to screw up their handiwork. I was looking forward to another dance with Minuet. I suppose that we'll have to wait until the binars have to reboot their planet again. Perhaps only then will I find my true love. Welcome to We Engage, where we, your 20th century historians on this journey, return to a sci-fi series we all have a strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. It debuted in 1987 when we were all babies, and now in 2020, we re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a new perspective as grown-up fans. Uh, and I am excited to talk about this episode, 11001001. I hope I don't have to read that again, but I probably will. Uh, I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by three amazing people, as always, in this discussion. Let us talk to you, Miss Kate Yeager. How are you doing? I'm doing just swell. Thank you, Greg. I'm excited to talk about uh, the binars. This is very exciting. And all those ones and zeros, I'm feeling both turned on and off all at the same time. <laughs> Continuously, repeatedly, over and over yes, again. It's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome, Eric Grattan. How are you, sir? I'm doing quite well myself. It's good to be here. I enjoy this episode every time I even think about it. The moment that I hear the term binar in that first uh, scene, I just immediately go to these performances. They make me so happy and remind me that I believe this was the first Emmy win for the young series. Star Trek The Next Generation won the Emmy for Best Sound Editing for this episode. Very cool stuff. And it's all because of their they're talking i don't know we'll get to that uh i want to welcome <laughs> jimmy g hey jimmy how are you hey star trek hey <laughs> <laughs> i miss my jimmy i'm excited to talk about some robots <laughs> <laughs> they are robot peoples uh it's true yeah. uh we get introduced to the binars as we've said here they're going to fix some problems, maybe cause some, we'll see. Uh, let's get to what's happening with this episode. Uh, it is, again, 11001001. Did I get that right? I got it right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and it debuted on February 1st, 1988. The star date is 41365.9. It earned a Nielsen rating of 10.7. But who didn't... What does that mean anymore? Who knows? But it <laughs> got some ratings. like we discussed that a couple times early on. I know. And then we kind of got it. And then because we are Gen X and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we just don't care. So it's percentage of households. Percentage of households. No, I know. Households or households watching or... Total television watching households. At the moment? <laughs> Correct. Okay. Right. Thank you, Kate. And uh, I, that's I will more try to remember. It's more for comparative purposes, right? Because you know we want to see right. how the the show grows over time. But it's you know it's, it's a data point that we all need, like we all do with our binary selves. Um, in February 1988, <laughs> a lot of crazy things happened. Uh, Manuel Noriega from Panama was indicted for drug trafficking, trafficking and racketeering. It was the beginning of the end. 
for this general is not yet been uh, raided, I believe, and and or have Panama taken over by the CIA. Uh, that will happen later, but this is this is starting to get a little crazy. So he was indicted before he was in custody. I believe that is correct. That's interesting. I, again, I, I, I said I researched all this just... in the last 20 minutes, so I, I could very well be wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you and know. interestingly interestingly enough, that's what the song Panama is actually about. Is it really? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> that timeline makes no sense. It's like six years before. Yeah, I was going to say they were Sears. <laughs> the bunch of them. Oh man, this is this is gullible Greg, uh, <laughs> your, your fine host today. <laughs> uh, well, we all know what could have been by Tiffany uh, was number one this week uh, and next week. I I didn't remember this song, but I'm I'm looking to you, Kate. Do you do you, do? You... Yeah. Oh my gosh, what could have been? I don't know if I know. Yeah, this one. I have no memory of this. This was number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God! What what What's I the have tune? failed? Give her, give her the tune. I don't even know it. I can't do that. We don't Maybe know it. We, we established that Eric is really good at a beat. So give us a beat, Eric, and we'll go from and it's, there. And what is it again? It could have been? Just could have been uh, is, is the song. Could have been stop, you. Stop, stop, stop. I don't know, though. <laughs> could have been me. I want to go so slowly with us. I don't know. I got I, I, I got lost in the middle there. So. I liked I liked all that, though. It was, uh, I was very believable uh, that you were <laughs> Tiffany and you were joining us for this podcast. I Thank can't. You. I well, feel like I have failed. It, it's literally my one job. Mm-hmm. I have one job mm-hmm. on this podcast, and that is it. I'm sorely disappointed. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I feel like this has been a great run. Uh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> hey, would you Not consider staying and talking about other things? Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll live out the episode. I appreciate it. I, That's I nice. wouldn't know what to do. Maybe we could turn you around by the end uh, and welcome yes, you back with open arms. I'm sure I'm going to wake up at three o'clock in the morning like they just plunged adrenaline straight into my heart singing that song. I just know it. <laughs> it feels like a consolation prize after Debbie Gibson was, We, you know, we mentioned earlier, uh, we talked about the Go-Go's and all that stuff leading up to this. Like, you know, it's it was due for Tiffany to get talked about, but this not this song. I know. I don't get it. I know. I thought it would have been, I think we're alone now. Right, which or... was also he, he earlier. He was just 17. Yeah, I was earlier, yeah. Yeah. I saw, him, I saw three him standing there. Do you remember that? Tiffany did oh, the, yes. the cover of I Saw Her Standing There from the Beatles. Oh, yeah. But that was, was Tiffany, too. I saw too. him standing there. Oh, my I believe goodness. that was Tiffany. I thought you were singing Joan Jett. I saw him standing there, and it just went next to the vending machine. But, yeah, Beatles. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was, I was doing, yeah, titles. I thought someone was just standing in front of your eyes, and you were... Oh, I saw Tiffany live. standing there. Yeah, that's what. I <laughs> and everybody just got quiet um, because I happened to remember an argument I got into on a school bus in oh, no. I want to say seventh, sixth grade, seventh grade, uh, with someone who was singing the new lyrics of the cover version that I had not heard yet. And I was very confused oh. that, that the genders had switched because I was an idiot child. And, uh, you know, because me. I remembered that. I remembered that Tiffany had that nice cover of it. I think I actually got into a fist fight with my friend on the bus about the lyrics of White Snake's... Uh, Oh, yes. uh, like a twister, I was born to walk alone. A twister? 
That's no, my wife's friend. Twister? My friend thought it was Twister, and I was like, oh, "No, it's awesome. Drifter." And we literally well, came to fisticuffs because of it. And it's also no. not even Drifter. That was the second version. And the first version and the early radio version was Hobo, like a hobo. Like a I was really? hobo. Yeah. I've never heard you that. You can go version. back, and that's the version that they play an awful lot on the radio now. And every time Nuh-uh. I'm like, "What? It's clearly Drifter." Yeah. And growing wow. up in Kansas, honestly. I kind of thought it was Twister for a while. Legit. Mm, you can see it. <clears throat> but no, it is, in fact, Drifter. That makes a lot or more Hobo. sense. Right? See, I'm glad I was right. which version you're hearing on the Spotify. Well, uh, speaking of hobos, the Washington <laughs> football team beat the Denver Broncos 42 to 10 the day before Oof. this episode aired in Super Bowl 22. Uh, mm. and- mm. Jack Murphy well. You do. My history teacher was from Denver. Ah. Uh, we were in Germany, so he had to stay up. The, the game televised at like two thirty-three in the morning. So not cool. only was he tired, but he was not happy. <laughs> was that the the Super Bowl after the drive? Uh, got I, them there at the end of the AFC Championship game. I don't remember the game. I just remember him being upset that his team lost. That happens even in Germany. Even in Germany. <laughs> even Germany, your team. Even can in lose. Deutschland. <laughs> always, always been a bum. He can't win a World Series. I almost called it. He can't win a World Series. That That's guy. That's true. It is true. <laughs> sure as shit can't. Uh, but on to what's going on in this episode. Uh, it's got a binary name. Uh, I does anyone Did know anybody what, look it up? I tried oh, to. It doesn't. So sure someone would look at it. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's pretty simple. The name and there's a whole bunch of great supposed explanations and you know math geeks geeking out on all the possible meanings it could be. But Tell us it four is literally the name of the four binaries put together. That's it. Oh, that's the short that's and long all. of it. One one zero zero one zero. Zero one. That's the only four combinations of those two digits. Fascinating. That can well, be done. They're right? literally called that. If you go to IADB, you can look it up. Those are their character names. It's that's what it was. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, I thought it would have some meaning uh, that would you know be like you know data or you know, I don't know some word or something like that. But nope, it's just meaningless uh, as far as I can tell. Correct me wrong if those of you out in, no, there's in, some in really great land, uh, so. The some of the the good explanations what it could mean take uh, me to the very, outer limits very mathematical so one one zero zero one zero zero one equals ret return dash unconditional return opcode for an Intel eighty eighty CPU the binaries need an unconditional return I mean this is meta geek here yeah that's pretty fun yeah. So uh, that was the only one that's like actually a little bit sensical. A lot of them just dive way, way into the esoterica. I'm, I'm a big sucker for like the areas of the internet where they're really smart and they're really metaphysically unexplainable, like decide that they meet. Mm-hmm. And like it's, I I, I kind of describe it as the Dan Aykroyd corner of the internet. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Yeah. You know, that shit is super fun. Tube and Spirit Guide. When they get to analyzing art, it can be really interesting, too, to a point. Like, I feel like a lot of Shakespeare scholarship crosses right over into that Mm. uh, in a wonderful kind of way because it does inform actors whether or not any of it was intended. Um, I have heard the counter argument, though, too, that that type of thinking, uh, you know, kind of the mystery box thing of J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, means that like art is a is a code that you have to unlock. Like it, it's 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 a puzzle to to break open and solve rather than just feel, um, you know, so like everything, things come in waves and uh, yeah. things go in and fashion a, and out of fashion. It's a very but- capitalist way of looking at the industry of making movies and i'm sure it works for him i find that to be really really tough to swallow and i knew some shakespearean scholars who were just like that too were like you know this is what it means i've solved the the, the riddle of this right. this poem i'm like well i mean it could mean so many different things it doesn't mean that necessarily and just because you got your answer doesn't mean it so i actually kind of like that this this title meant nothing to me like you know it might have <laughs> Some significance, but it also yeah. is just literally binary uh, oh, well, of what's it, going yeah. on. It has a, a huge significance because it's the passcode that saves their planet at the very end of the game. At the end so, of the game? I mean, at the end of the episode. <laughs> so it, it it's not arbitrary. They, they use it in a very real sense. And it's a very subtle sense because not only do they give it to us and we don't know what it means... Uh, but at the end, the two people have to come together and initiate it together, which is binary. So, you know, it sort of reinforces it. So I don't I don't know that any of it is a mistake or meaningless. It's just right. uh, not profound. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it does end up being the theme. You need to do stuff in pairs. Um, but on to some of the folks behind this episode. It was written by Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Mr. Hurley in the past. Uh, he ends up being kind of an antagonist in the behind the scenes as well uh, in the lead up to this episode. Um, he's stated as being some of the reasons why cast members leave the show and or come back when he actually leaves the show. Um, but this is a pretty solid written episode um, and directed by Paul Lynch. Who I knew you were going to say Paul Lind. Like it, it freaked me out when you said Lynch instead of Lind. I was so sure of it. I'll take Center Square uh, for talking about. Uh, okay, Greg, this guy, because uh, uh, right, Paul Lind was the Center Square in Hollywood Squares, right? Oh yeah, often. Yeah, you know, next to Shadow Stevens. <laughs> uh, he directed several uh, TNG episodes. Uh, this was the second one, and previously he had done The Naked Now. Uh, so wow. he's back, uh, as well as some DS9, and he had a pretty long career uh, in the Trek universe. Um, I also wanted to shout out because there's many, many co-stars in this. Yes. One of my favorites is, of course, um, Carolyn McCormick, who plays Minuet. She, uh, yeah, she's terrific. Did a ton of stuff, uh, in the 80s uh, and 90s. She was an enemy mine, uh, which I Ooh, found okay. exciting. I was like, oh, I need to go back and rewatch that sci fi gem from the oh, 80s. Yeah. It, it still looks great. It still looks great. I watched it last year. Yeah. Is it yeah. who co stars with them, Eric? Is it, uh, Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Dennis yeah. Quaid. Yeah. Dennis Quaid. Just watched him in season three of Goliath. 
Oh, interesting. I the last thing I saw him in, I think, was um, oh, what's the terrific Amazon and Sky One series with Stanley Tucci and Michael Gambon, and it's half kind of uh, plague movie and half um, like political thriller. <laughs> Shit, I can't remember what it's called, but Dennis Quaid. Oh, and the the lead is uh, Richard. Um, Link letter, Dawson. No, um, from Game of Thrones, he played Beric Dondarrion. Oh, uh, that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, he was which one? Really, Wasn't there two? There was two actors who played he's Beric. Terrific. Uh, but anyway, we're getting it. a little sidetracked uh, here is, uh, because it's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> Carolyn McCormick uh, went on to star in Law and Order, uh, as well as a bunch of SVU stuff. I'm not a, uh, I won't, haven't watched a bunch of those shows. Do you guys recognize her? She's Dr. Elizabeth Olivet. No, I never got into the, those uh, those series. Which I think I should, because I actually really enjoy mysteries and, and things like that, but that just escaped me. Yeah, I was on an episode of SVU, dear listeners. <gasps> oh, <laughs> dear listeners, bring it through, Jimmy. That's right. I was on uh, episode four hundred four, Mother, featured Ooh. extra. Yeah, you were. I had yeah. my own trailer. What, oh. what, what was what was your emotional arc? My emotional arc was uh, screaming because it was the only line that I had. Being sure. carried, I was I was in the uh, uh, mental patient. And as I awesome. walk by, Mullins goes, well, this is a nut house. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love Biggest that. lesson I learned as an actor, don't tell your friends you're in an episode until you see it. Because uh, everyone came over to my apartment in Washington Heights and uh, I was cut. Oh. Uh, yeah, that happened to me in All My Children. Yeah. That is the saddest. Life was completely cut out. Yep. Still, well, get, still get residual checks. Just got one a couple weeks ago. Yes, Yay. ka-ching. Those 587 bagels aren't going to pay for themselves. That's right. <laughs> I could buy a pack of smokes. Well, I'm going to go look for where you would have been and imagine. Yeah. Right, as we go back. The episode improved by that much. Uh, the two binars, uh, Katie Boyer uh, ended up having a uh, long career. Uh, she was in uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park in 97, uh, as well as Minority Report. She ends up playing a lot of mothers roles uh unfortunately though they're not super uh starring roles she was in nash bridges as well mm. and sliders Ooh. see she's got some genre cred here yeah x-files been doing it for a long time um and i'm my favorite uh extras not necessarily extras but uh, uh a bit parts in this were the jazz musicians yeah uh, that yeah. Riker has fun with, um, with his bone, with his bone. bone. <laughs> we'll get to his bone in a second. Give a dog a bone. Jack Will Sheldon Riker. was the best. He, I think, he had the best line where he says, uh, uh, "At about that, don't quit your day job." And it actually was funny. I was actually like, "Oh yeah, that." <laughs> he would he would have that dig at Riker uh, for his bone playing. <laughs> oh Riker. Oh, Riker. That's uh, that's what Minuet says each time she goes to sleep. Wait, does she? No, she doesn't. You mean freezes. Every time you leave the holiday, she's just sitting there with her hands curled up by her chin until someone talks to her. It's like, oh, I'm back alive. Thank you. 
And then finally, there was Gene Dynarski, who was the uh, Starfleet officer that came aboard with the Binars. Yes, hated um, him. Oh, do you mean Evil Picard? Evil Picard. I was going to say Picard. Kaczynski Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we know, right? He looks like Picard. He's guy. It's... We know we know what happens in that. And hasn't he been on Star Trek before? Universe. He's yeah, done he some was of the Star in, Trek stuff. He was in uh, an episode of the uh, original series with Mud, Mud's Women, as well as uh, playing Krodak in The Mark of Gideon. I don't remember that episode. Is that a TNG or another? That was franchise? TOS as well. TOS. Yeah. Um, and then he went on, you know, the bunch of parts throughout the 60s 70s uh and uh finally he's actually the voice of joseph stalin in command and conquer red alert a video game that i finally remember well good ah. for you gene that's also uh and that is an it's actual career on-screen talent because that was that game featured full motion video i Ooh. believe Ooh. and it is the source it may be Red Alert or Red Alert 2, uh, it is the source. You may have seen this meme of, uh, it's not Stanley Tucci. It is the butler from, butler from Clue. Uh, Tim, Tim Curry. Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry uh, is like, well, the one place that hasn't been conquered. Space. <laughs> Where he like, looks up in the air uh, and has that weird wide-eyed thing. Uh, that is from that video game as well. Uh, wow. Amazing. I believe Clue is to Eric Gratton as Willy Wonka is to Jimmy G. I, I think that's a fair statement, my friend. Yeah. Clue is a fantastic film. I've certainly seen it 50 times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, easily. He yeah. loves that movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if I can't get that, you go right back to Murder by Death, which is basically yes! the same thing, but more racist. <laughs> well, yes. Isn't that fun? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go very, back Very, very racist. Uh, so this episode opens uh, with uh, an amazing shot of the Starbase from Star Trek Three. So sexy. <laughs> it looks so good, right? And they basically did. They took this shot uh, from a Star Trek film and recolored the planet behind it, uh, as well as, uh, of course, digitally took out, uh, or however they could take out the, uh, enterprise. I want to say a, is it a at this point or is yes. Um, and, uh, and put in the, uh, enterprise D from Star Trek next generation here, but it does look so good. Doesn't it? Yeah. Is it taken from the motion picture? No, I believe it's from Star Trek three. Three. All right. So relatively recent, like they took it from the most <laughs> recent movie and we're like, oh, you know, cool. Yeah. Hey, it's effective. I think it looks gorgeous. Yeah. And then you get those nice docking moments when Riker is trying to, uh, you know, issue those Riker, commands. Riker is good at docking. Double <laughs> 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 uh-huh. Was it? Maybe one and a half. Well, one and a half tons. <laughs> it's an <laughs> It's an entente. As Kate told us last week. And, and Picard yeah. is satisfied. He is like, well oh, yeah. done, number one. You took me home. <laughs> <laughs> that is what he said. <laughs> I, every, every one of these, like in the, in the original movie, and, you know, it, it seems like it's something that happens all the time. You know, someone gets their first command and, and we get to see them either launch or dock. You know, and 
it, you know, I as an adult, most of my life I've been moving, you know, from one gig to another or on tour or whatever. And these these moments are just so fucking evocative. Like every time I see one of these, I get all choked up and it, it, and it's never like that. Like when a cruise ship or whatever the fuck leaves, it doesn't have this feeling of the grand music. Uh, that Mr. Uh, Jones recorded for this. I watched uh, our Disney cruise ship pull into, uh, I forget the port now, but uh, it was pretty amazing to watch what was happening. And just uh, my my balcony view actually had a view of where the the crew sat. And it was a, um, a glass box, basically, that shot off of the side of the ship, not the front. Uh, uh-huh. And you could see the captain and his people there doing whatever they do. And then all the people on the side who do all the shit that they do to rope it in. Um, and that was actually pretty cool to see how they bring this behemoth in. And that was one of the things when this came in, I was like, man, they make it look easy. Like <laughs> one guy can just say two sentences and here you go. And, you know, not, you know, what does everyone else on the ship do? <laughs> Although they had that great scene where you see all the people in the engineering and you see in the glass, in the window of the Enterprise, um, the star base, and they're all just busy working away, doing something, hitting all their little number pads. I'm <laughs> Listeners, I'm ah. doing my number pad finger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we do get a lot of shots of the interior of Starbase 74, and I kind of like this from the approach of it being like a slice of life episode, you get to see like kind of the recreation, the downtime, what the crew chooses to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, which can I say? Yeah, Picard. They're talking. Everyone's like going off to do their different things, and Picard talks about turning on a personal relaxation light. light. <laughs> and the way he says it, I don't want to know what's personable about this right. relaxation light. <laughs> I don't want to know how it relaxes you. I just know <laughs> that it's important to him. Yes. I want to see the commercial. <laughs> I, I want to see the commercial for personal relaxation lights. They used to only make you tired. They can do so much more now. Like they can there's do so well, much more. And if he's going to give a recommendation for a product, you know, I mean, Jean-Luc didn't do that until Porsche came calling. So, like, you know, these personal lights, uh, excuse me, personal relaxation lights are <laughs> extra special. Only the classiest for that. Man. It's like he's it's like he's uh, bragging to Riker about getting the chamois. He's like, come on, guys. You want, you want to see me do it? Like, I've got this. I got it on TV. Computer, strongbow. <laughs> Code. But he's gonna read it. He's gonna read a novel. He's just gonna, you know, no, open up uh, a Dixon Hill mystery, perhaps, and uh, <laughs> and peruse that. Uh, you don't need yeah. a relaxation relaxation light for that. <laughs> I was I was all ready for the B story to be uh, all about the the sport that yes. Tasha and uh, and Worf are off to play because it's whatever it is. I'm in I, those lycra outfits. The bloodlust. I went down a rabbit hole with this sport. Yeah. I, did you know that it was like, it's like it's referenced multiple times and it's no! it's got like a whole history behind it. Uh, so this is the first mention of it that I I, I think um, it's called Paris's Squares. Oh, this uh, is exciting. It is a violent athletic game, uh, so much so that there's uh, dialogue in an upcoming episode of Voyager, I think, in which uh, children are 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 
encouraged not to play it because you can sustain it. It's like a, it's like a football analogy CTE. here. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, Kling, there, there's a, a Klingon who's the only national who's played uh, Parisa Squares professionally. Uh, there's all these reference to it. Wow. Um, See, I was, cool. I knew it. I knew I wanted more of that game. And Riker uh, says, no, I can't play, even though he's invited by Tasha. Tasha clearly wants to buddy up with with Commander Riker uh, here. And he's like, no, it'll, it'll ruin the, the flow of the game if you sub. And a great line by Worf. Oh, yes. If winning's not important, then why do they keep score? <laughs> Bet your uh. fucking ass, Worf. He knows. Yes, this this sounds like something that appeals to Jimmy. Yes. I, I I am not surprised. I like it. We played Foursquare in grad school, and boy, did I take that seriously. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, the, the my girls they take it. They they've told me about like rules and mods and how they get into fight over which yeah. version of Foursquare they're playing. It's it's intense for nine yeah. year olds. Yeah. Um, Have they played with Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> they ain't got no game. You do like the Adam Sandler, like, don't you ever leave me open, son. <laughs> I can see it. I can see the whole thing. I appreciate it because that's that's the way to do it. Um, I love that. I love that. Uh, Data is learning how to paint create creatively. Yeah, that's another that's so first. Fantastic. Yes, yeah, that's, I love it. And Riker was a total dick. Oh, yes, you think for a second oh he's like being sincere and they look back with this hope in their eyes like, really? Someone might find this interesting? And then, Jimmy, what happens? Riker comes in and he makes a very crude comment. It's not bad for a blind man in a robot. <laughs> what? Blind man teaching an android to paint. Yes. That's and he, gotta and be got to be good that enough for a textbook somewhere. Does. When he does it too. Like, I think that, that line s- could have been delivered a lot more more kindly yeah no it was oh, well, a... even before he gets to that line they say they they'd say here's what do you think of this and he says i don't know tell me what it is and then i'll tell you what i think about it which is such an asshole way to approach art i love i don't know you tell me what i'm fucking, fucking supposed to like about it and i'll tell you whether or not you were successful that, that was I don't a know why Riker just <laughs> that was a thing in the 80s though wasn't that like a thing of like modern art you know it's just a circle and and it's oh, going to get sold yourself. for millions of dollars. It is still a it, thing. But I remember that being a trope back then. My kid could do it better is is something that people yeah. will always say about uh, art that is contemporary. Right. But your kid didn't do it. Or better. Exactly. Or better. <laughs> and Data's painting's awesome. And if they did, you'd mock right. them for it. I loved and his this, painting. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I love that this is the beginning because painting becomes something that's really important to Data, you know, throughout the series. Um, he's always got some sort of creativity. And I love the idea of him trying to use, trying to paint based just basically on, on inspiration. Is it? That could have been the whole episode to me. <laughs> yes. That second <laughs> totally. scene where he's like, uh, what are you doing, Data? And Jordy asks, and he's like, I'm attempting to wait for inspiration. <laughs> yes. But in, in response to Riker's dick, response to the painting Jordy and um data have a really good fuck you like yeah the look as they go is like get the fuck out of here (laughs) i was immediately grateful for that because i could see a world and you still see it where the person who's the victim of dickish behavior is then forced to perform like a oh you yeah yeah reaction and at least they gave him a this fucking guy right 
kind of moment. And it's a, it's a moment for us to get MetaGeek on some acting stuff here. And that is a lesser actor would have just laughed because, oh, he's one of our friends. So nothing he can say is bad. Good actors did exactly what uh, Jordy and Data did was look at him like, as they should have. That was a dick thing to say. So I'm going to look at you like you're a dick. Uh, and you know, acknowledge the moment. It's like in grad school, we called don't pretend the person isn't on fire if they're on fire. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> they didn't pretend like he wasn't on fire. <laughs> they definitely acknowledge that he was being an asshole with that line. In general, this whole episode skeeves me out when it comes to Riker. Oh, like, yeah. I, I love Jonathan Frakes. I love Riker. There are certain Riker episodes that just make my skin crawl and this is one of those episodes for me that everything about it uh i was i and actually it took me a while as a kid to warm up to riker i was not a riker fan at all for the first couple seasons as they were trying to make him sort of the the sex fiend you know who's gonna who's gonna you know have sex with all the green alien ladies if we (laughs) yeah and we've talked about He's kind of not nice to his subordinates uh, in these first fourteen episodes here. Like, he, there's, there's, right. there's, there's definitely tender moments, but there's, there's a lot of asshole Riker, and it's on display in this episode for sure. Yeah, I definitely tie it into beard or no beard. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, it, it humanizes him. It softens the man. It absolutely does. It gives him a jaw. As a weak jawed person myself, I appreciate the fine chiseled <laughs> neckline and jawline that he crafts for himself out of the end of the beard. It's well done, my friend. When it starts to happen. <laughs> Riker has uh well say what you say about uh Jonathan Frakes he thought this was one of the best episodes of the first season. Mm, uh, a lot of people mm, agree with him too. It's a it's actually a great episode. It yeah. it truly is. It's just he skeezes me out so much with that I I learned that it's really hard to be sultry seductive and play the bone at the same time. <laughs> Which seems counterintuitive. <laughs> He's trying yeah. to give her sex eyes, but also, but not succeeding. Also, whilst... like, they did it, the camera angle, <laughs> like, with him pointing the, the bone towards the camera and, like, <sighs> down. And it's just weird. Like, give the dude an up angle now and again if you don't want him to be creepy. It's... I mean, but maybe they did want it to be creepy. Like the creepiness is relatively real. Well, he he he, he the whole like picking out what the woman is going to look like. Yes, that was which, not cool. Which before we even get there, though, let's let's just talk about the understatement of the century, which is we're going to get some repairs done on the holodeck because we've been having some issues lately. Yes. Gee, really? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. And so we're going to bring the traveler. and 6.0 on not know what the hell they're doing and just let them go to it like we did six or seven episodes ago it's pretty much and in the meantime we're gonna put wesley in charge of the bridge you're in charge ensign you're not even a real ensign but you know what the bridge is yours they're they're in star dock it's okay i get that we're docked and i get that he's made of magic <laughs> but even i was like you guys yes maybe it maybe it's like dwight Schrute with the fake um <laughs> captain's wheel and it he's doesn't not actually in attach to anything he's not an instant he's the assistant to the instant <laughs> <laughs> 
And shouldn't there have been a skeleton crew in engineering for fuck's sake? Like, yeah. again, everybody needs their R&R. I get it. But you go down and it's in low light mode. Like, yeah, right, right. They come down there and they're like, they're like, um, nobody's down here. So I'm 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 gonna take a look and see if I can see anything. But, uh, if you could if you could just if you could send an engineer down here, that would be cool. And then the next like two like two lines after that, it's fuck abandoned ship. Everything's blown up. We yeah. need to get the f out now. Things, things escalate quickly. Yeah. And I think that they really need to think about a different. Uh, red alert response with like the ship's gonna blow up because <laughs> it's just like it turns red it's a very nice kind of red it's just uh warm uh uh like it doesn't scream to me intimate danger <laughs> everyone looks good it's like they're at the club this crew right is so well trained that they know what actors know instinctively when you hear an alarm whatever direction you are headed right now it's Out. the wrong direction. <laughs> You're right. You forgot something you need right where you had been. Oh, and and during the Exodus, man in skirt sighting. Man in skirt. Man yes, in skirt. that's right. And I think it's the same guy from the first episode. That's wonderful. The same black hair dude in that red thing. They're like, dude, come back. They recycled a lot of shots uh, for this episode, uh, apparently. And you so think it's the same the- shot? It might be the same shot, or it might be just Ooh. it was shot for the first episode. They also reused shots from uh, where no one has gone before uh, in this episode uh, when they were also abandoning sh- uh, places. Uh, my favorite one of the extra because shots of the traveler was the one where the extra trips and falls, and then they have yeah. to pick yes. them up, and, and it just have, creates yeah. that little bit of tension. No, that's great. It's always wonderful. Yeah, always yeah. There's see. a reason it's always done, and yeah. that shit happens. Yes. And then you put isn't that how one of these assholes at the Capitol anyway? Fuck I, it. Yeah. I feel like we're concentrating on the B plot so much, but let's get it out of the way <laughs> and go all the way before we go to A plot. But no, it's if give we're it directing Wesley, the show and nobody trips. We're gonna be like nobody tripped, nobody tripped. <laughs> Is this the first ta- first time any of you've been on a set? Nobody tripped. Take it back, kid. You're gonna trip. Show him what to do. Push the kid. Push him down so he trips. Uh, but you mentioned how Wesley gets in charge of the bridge, right? And then he gets these orders from Data. You're like, do this, do this, do this. And it feels like maybe two shots later, Wesley's out. He is like getting beamed off. He's like, I've gotten, what? The ship's blowing up? Me out. Yeah, first <laughs> one's off. Women and children, I am not an ensign anymore. <laughs> is that so important? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but yes, let's get to uh, what we'll call the A plot here of Riker meeting Minuet in the holodeck. This is after he's made his uh, all of his tour of uh, catching up with other characters. Uh, and where, where Beverly is horny for science. Yeah, <laughs> very. Yeah, I can't talk right now. <laughs> the weird part about that they actually shot an episode or a scene with uh, Epstein, the cybernetics scientist. Uh, but in the script, he was only supposed to be 26 years old, which makes no sense to me because if it's, she's attending lectures, but maybe that's why she wanted to see him. This is what I, uh, 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 also, oh no. <laughs> 
<laughs> was that binar? Was that binar language you just did? <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh my god. That's, that's really good. <laughs> I wanted to say, Kate, you were you were talking about how it took you a while the first time through to really grok how fucked up Riker was in his kind of uh constant pheromone uh release to everyone and everything around him and i wrote down watching this i was just like holy heck Riker was much more horny than i remember oh my gosh even after having seen decades of memes about it right like i'm still shocked about how horny and in creepy ways they let him be he shows up there sprayed up in his axe uh spray (laughs) Red, like popping that collar, ready to play that fucking bone. Uh, and here's my question. Yeah. Did the binars invent the concept of sexy times in the holodeck? Because I feel like, like it feels like no one has ever tried or thought of this before, the way Riker is reacting to this woman. And I would say, wouldn't that have been the reason the holodeck was invented in the first mm-hmm. place? We know that the porn industry is at the forefront of technology. I have to imagine that's why the holodeck was created. I think you're absolutely right that that was why it was created. And that's kind of the, the vibe that I had watching it. Because Picard Ugh. came in and showed zero surprise. No surprise. Zero surprise. Whatsoever. Of course the holodeck is for... <laughs> boning holodeck women he said through his body language yes (laughs) like oh and this one's better than most of the ones he said to his male friend when no one he respected was around like this was a tough script as they talk about her in the third person yes i I get she's ones and zeros i get that she's a program but she's also adapting her thinking and seems genuinely terrified when Picard is about to leave. Like there's, and they even they even say to each other, like it's it's phrased as, "Well, this one's more realistic and might seem a lot more human than the other ones." And I'm like, I mean, if if it's that interesting, you could say it to her. I, I especially know. after she's exhibited so much interest in the ship and everything like like she's you know it's not like she hasn't been playing a part that feels like it was crossing that line already yeah right and, and the history of this holodeck right <laughs> they've already been proven on two occasions things get real around mm-hmm. here <laughs> yeah. this is no surprise they cannot be surprised there yeah. is penetration the gun the bullet <laughs> penetrated that guy <laughs> Well, he essentially has a fully functional conversation with her where he says, like, so what are you programmed for? Yeah. How far can this simulation go? How far can this? Yeah. Yeah. And this also felt because I I just listened to us uh, have our conversation uh, about harp porn uh, in uh, a previous episode. (laughs) This feels like a continuation of harp porn. Yes. Yeah. And it seems so conscious, like the Binars read him so correctly, so quickly. They know this guy, this guy, all we got to do is let him pick some gal and he ain't going nowhere. Yeah, we can do literally anything we want now. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we'll just turn down the volume of the red alert so they can't hear it in the yeah. holodeck. <laughs> it's it's not at eleven. On a, on a on a plot level, what exactly do you three think the binars did? Did they? I've got several theories out, but I want to hear from from you first because it's not it's not really clear. Uh, Kate, what do you think they actually? What did they do here? Right, because they well they sort of indicate, or she Minuet basically says when they come back to check in with her, she says when they saw how interested in me you were, they they went forward. So I don't know what their original plan was. Maybe their original plan. I don't know. I, I, cause it seems like they did some thinking on their feet and got, you know, Riker, I don't know. They chirped at the computer and, and put in, you know, and then put in like a, one of their programs. Yeah. Like did they put some of themselves into it? Yeah. Cause she disappears later. Right? right. So yeah, it feels like it has to be something super special. Eric, what do you think? Are you asking what they did specifically to create her? Yes. Hmm. And why does it yeah. go away? I think it goes away for exactly what you're saying. I think they're implying that when all of the data from their civilization leaves the Enterprise, it goes with them. Mm. So in some way, it, her life was part of theirs. Okay. Mm. So that's, that's what smart. I... That what sounds I, smart. That sounds so smart. I'm saying yes. <laughs> I've got a few problems with that's, that. But... That's, what I, that's what I at least assumed. Jimmy, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm totally on board with Eric. They dumped in their entire civilization into the computer, and that allowed Minuet to have an algorithm that was beyond anything else. And when that that information got dumped out, it went back to being the same holodeck it was beforehand. And they they don't address that though in the episode. I think that's it's. Eric uh, um, reasoned that out, but I think he reasoned it. I agree with him, and it it, it flows. You know, you don't need to say everything, um, but it does have a certain flow of logic based on what they did. I mean, they lure him in. They purposely want one person on the ship. And, and this is my only... I love this episode. The only thing I don't love about the episode is this one plot, gaping plot hole we can get to later, but they have they want one person. It happens to be uh, Riker, and they immediately know how to manipulate him to make their plan uh, come to fruition. Right. Now, see, Jimmy, you're, you're, you're assuming that they didn't have a plan for Picard, which I think involved a very special light. They, had a... <laughs> they were going to do things to that light. They were going to do things to that personal relaxation light. Right. They knew. Yeah. More ones than zeros. That's funny. I'm zeros. not assuming though, right? Because Minuet literally <laughs> says uh, it was a, a happenstance that you came along. Right. I think they needed two people because right. at yeah. the end they do say. Well, they ended you up need two people. people. Right. And that's the gaping Certainly. plot hole is Minuet says, um, explains why Riker got roped in. Picard was just a happenstance that he I came think... along. And then, but right. they ended up needing two. <laughs> And, uh, I think they had a plan for somebody. Yeah, I think they like wanted to. They had Riker. Because uh, I think it was while they were physically talking to Riker that they found out that their shit needed to be sped up. And they're like, all right, I got to take one. So we'll take uh. this guy who's with us. And then we'll find another one. And then Picard just comes waltzing in. And they're like, great. Now we can get rid of everybody else. Right. They, and so that's kind of where I They went. had so that's much exposition I that they... 
leaving that out was questionable. And then also, right. you know, if your whole planet's at stake, you don't put a password. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why lock it at all? Like Just that. make it accessible. Yeah. Uh, I'm also like one of the one of the things I I kind of. Am, I proselytize about is is letting the audience fill in your plot like I I as an actor it's it's the thing that I kind of love most about working on characters is filling in the the holes between the pieces of information that you're given in a script Mm -hmm. and I think that there's room for audiences to learn how to do that or to learn how to enjoy doing that Mm -hmm. as well so I everything should have some mystery to it that the audience gets to solve uh, Going back to the J.J. Abrams stuff. mystery box yeah. stuff, right? Like that, well, yeah, but there's I don't part think, of that too. Don't you don't need to, to be, explain yeah, it all away. Totally, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, and, and you know, when when I was an actor, the whole thing was you find your need that's based in the other, and it has it, it means nothing if you understand what my need is as an audience. All you have to do is believe it. If you believe that I'm doing something, it it, it makes no difference. Absolutely. why i made that choice and that's that i think it's the same i'm i think i'm taking the using different words to say the same thing that's the mystery is you don't need to know if i'm thinking about my dead grandmother or if i'm just pretending i'm an, an ape or i'm playing a verb as long as you believe yeah. it it doesn't matter and that's the that's a beautiful mystery of it all wholehearted agreement Eric, I thought I thought of you during this episode because uh, the binars are terrible liars, right? We've <laughs> yes. talked a lot about terrible, like, terrible. A- as an actor, you have to decide how good your character is at lying, and they are terrible <laughs> at it. Which, yeah. in some ways, makes sense because they're not they're not the the they're not Ferengi, right? They didn't right. come in with uh, you know their their motivation is pure, sure. As you know, it's self it's self serving, <laughs> but it's pure. That uh, makes sense that that lying is not. Plus, you know, lying in binary is really interesting. Right, that's super interesting. You could make the decision though that because it's so uh, so much about a voluntary switch that they would be good at it. Um, uh, in terms of their language is so on and off, they should be right. able to just turn it on if it's behavioral. But uh, one thing that I I suspect might might be a part of it, and I don't know, uh, and I I always hesitate to to you know to criticize other actors' choices and things, but I I do think that people who aren't necessarily used to mask work, like f- physical actors who might be dancers or who might come from a different mm-hmm. background, might not understand how very much wearing a mask and coming up with a physicality like they've come up with mm-hmm. then amplifies every decision you make. You gotta wear the mask, don't let the mask wear you. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I gotta tell this quick story just because you brought up the mask. Uh, I had the privilege to see Tantalus, uh, which is a uh, nine-hour Odyssey play <laughs> written by John Barton from the Royal Shakespeare Company while I was in London at the Barbican. Um, and uh, uh, there is a moment where the the two lead actors Agamemnon and Cassandra are fully naked and it's not distracting at all you don't think it's um you're like oh there's his penis but what does become very uncomfortable is the one moment when each one takes off their mask after the nine hours you're like oh my god you can see their face 
And right. it it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And then I went to the talkbacks after every episode as well. And John Barton, uh, not John Barton, but Sir Sir Peter uh, Brooks, yes, was there who directed it. And he said, um, you know, the mask is like a welder's mask. It allows you to look at the fire without being blinded. Mm. Um, and the lead actor for who played Agamemnon was there and he was like, well, watch this. And he says one of the lines, which is, just, you know, it's it's Greek, so everything is gigantic and over the top. And he says it without the mask, and it's totally unbelievable. And then he puts the mask on, and he says the same thing. And then these big body movements all at once become absolutely real. And it's like you are saying, mm-hmm. Eric, it's that difference of you can't put a, a mask on or this makeup, and you can't make the same choice. It. it it yeah. has to be filtered through there and the world is going to look different and behave differently. So you're thinking that these binars were, they weren't married, they were in makeup, but you're thinking that their, their performance right. read this way. But Jimmy, you said it fell flat. Yeah. So that was, I wanted to bring that up next. What did you guys think about the shared lines the binars had? Uh, I mean, I, I get the concept of it. No, yeah, uh, I, I get the concept I, too. I, How did it affect you? How did it land on you? Did you buy it? Did you I, like it? I can't watch it without thinking of uh uh what is it? What they call them? Kath and Garth. It was uh Fred Armisen and um, oh. <laughs> Kristen Wiig on SNL finishing. You know where they're trying to talk at the same time, which is a a improv trick which i love i love doing dual scenes with people where i just say the same thing as them at the same time uh it drives my husband crazy so funny. uh but that I, I got distracted because that's all i could think of i i kept thinking of uh another comedic thing the, the galaxy quest uh character <laughs> sure. who talks in that we're uh, fast and moving like that's right i, I feel like these two are directly related like that his performance he saw these this episode with the binars he's like i can do something like that and be a little bit weird i i feel like it's something you see over and over in science fiction and comic books is this hive mind kind of character that's expressed this way do you know you see it in the in the earth x stuff with the, the what hydra becomes and you know it's anyway there's all kinds of different hive creature situations purple man things like that and i it's very hard to do as an actor and i usually would rather they just say the lines together mm-hmm. with similar rhythms and different inflections maybe uh and that will give more nuance to what they're doing i i always think to uh china mayville uh his uh, ambassador town do you know that book Super interesting about a a human presence on an alien world where they don't have language unless two people, uh, two beings are speaking at once. Uh, And it's like two minds and two mouths at once, but they're in one brain and humans to do it have to know each other so well that the only people they've been able to find who could do it were identical twins. And so I, I think finding a different way to express it like that would be more interesting than finishing each other's sentences. That took me a long time to get there, but that's. So what what did you think, Jimmy? Uh, I agree with the very last part of Eric's uh, (laughs) preamble. There was, uh, I would have liked to have seen a different um, 
application or a way of doing it. it it just fell flat it was it seemed to me like that was the first idea that came to them it wasn't original it wasn't imaginative it was oh they finish each other's sentences which is you know that that's uh what you do at the table read it's you try it out and like ah, it's not quite there we i know what you're going for but it just it wasn't good enough and i think maybe if they would have done a camera trick where like eric saying they both are speaking at the same time, but then the audio is taken out from the other one and we hear it because you could tell they had the actors rehearse as much as they could and they got it perfect in terms of really saying it and stopping and allow for the allowing for the other actor to finish it. But it it came across as rehearsed uh, and not natural uh, cadence, which, of course, if they evolve this way, it would evolve in a way that just sounded absolutely effortless without any kind of practice. And from the very beginnings, like, oh, this is summer stock with with freshmen. Well, I, I disagree with one thing you're saying there, Jimmy, because if they've been if they're their their evolved state of speech is the thing when they're doing what Kate was doing earlier. <laughs> like that's their speech and their pattern. And this is only something that they've had to adapt potentially, I guess, because the universal translator doesn't work with that binary language. So they have to do it in this. They're all out of babblefish. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that feels good. Uh, yeah, so it, I, I think no, they're, they're, I, they could have counter, expressed it better. I have to counter your counter and say uh, <laughs> these were these were sentient beings who they had technology and joined. So at at some point they spoke individually, and they had to evolve with speaking individually. And then over a very long period of time, it became two of them joined together that were. Uh, non-binary in every sense of the word so it still would have at some point became way more fluid than than it came across here's here's a here's a weird question is the way they communicate together by not necessarily finish each other's sentences but each other's thoughts and there's a communion of communication going on is that exactly why minuet and Riker connected was because she was she was oh. finishing his thoughts. He they were they were they were exchanging ideas in a very binar yeah. way. He says it out oh. loud. It's like you know my thoughts before I say them. Wow, great! Wow, and maybe that's why they chose the most predictable hornball on the, <laughs> on the Enterprise. It all connects. Yes, because something that was bothering me about her being a uh, representation of what the binars did was like, well, she doesn't act anything like them. Like for, for, for that, you know, sexuality to be trying to be expressed in this way, it felt like the binars, where are they taking that inspiration from? Are they getting it from the books and from the databases? Uh, So it seemed weird that they, they were putting themselves into minuet, but then I wouldn't have come to this full circle without talking to the four of you. You know, I hate to say this, but I feel like, that gives credence to what Jimmy was saying. Yeah. Uh, and, Don't hate and, that. Embrace oh, it. <laughs> Hug it. Give it a big wet kiss. But yeah, I, I hadn't Just thought about that at all. I love the idea that, I mean, because I wrote down in my notes, this holodeck certainly understands double entendre better than data does. <laughs> and that seems like a weird choice. So I feel like, as Jimmy said, they used to have that kind of and who and who's to say like binary doesn't necessarily mean you see the world black and white if your code's long enough like there are tons of things who knows how they see it blah i just had a hit <laughs> of weed 
<laughs> the actors actually didn't choose to be like one zero in their their performance. Right. They actually had a little bit of emotion. They showed like surprise or urgency or desperation, mm-hmm. uh, and they didn't show we had it more in the time. exact same way. So right. they show that they you know they communicate as two, but there's they have I don't know if it was individual, but they have emotions that we as humans could relate to. Like I, I saw yeah. recognizable traits of humanity in the choices that they made. Boom. Boom, Boom my drop. Crush I that. Love it. Can we talk about what, what fell flat for me was the world's most uh uh unsatisfying uh rush to beat the auto destruct. <laughs> Because they talk about, we've got five minutes, we've got to get from here to the bridge, right? Because the only place they can do it is engineering, but later we learn that's not true. But they do it in engineering, they've got to make it there. They dick around for 20 (laughs) seconds in that room, looking around at shit. And my heart is beating. And my heart is beating. They get to the fucking door of, uh, uh, and they can't get in, right? They didn't establish that they had a direct means of getting in there. They've got to go to the transporters and get that shit done. And by the time they get in there and they manifest everything, they're just in a pile on the fucking floor. And by the time they turn it off, there's two minutes left. It's not even, we pull it down to the last like binary seconds. Right. No, no. Right. Two fucking minutes left. You got me all excited about nothing. We are anticlimactic. So, we are so broken. <laughs> I had the exact reaction to that, and it's like now you'd be laughed out of the theater. That would be the funniest thing you'd ever seen. They come up there in the RDR countdown has gone to two minutes, and they react finally with some urgency. Time. That that seems reasonable to me. Two minutes is tough, but like, you're right. Like now, that seems so quaint and stupid. Yeah, t- I said a- out loud when I was watching it when they were walking to the thing. I was like, I know you have five minutes, but even if I knew it was Dicking thirty seconds around. from this point to that point, <laughs> I would run if I had five minutes left in my life. I would be running Data, everywhere. Data and Jordy walked slowly when there was forty seconds left. They thought. Yeah, it's they're true. like better. I guess we should leave. There's like and, forty seconds and left. They, they materialize them so that they both have their phasers essentially pointed at each other. <laughs> they materialize. <laughs> they They talk a lot about that plan too. Like you go up there and I'll go up here, and that way we'll be able to cover everything. Yeah, too much time. Time's very elastic in this too episode much, uh, because you mentioned the the, the Jordy and ti- Data timeline is like we've only got this long, uh, and then there's tons of shots of extras that they're just like, all right, we need to pad this episode, get it in there. Yeah. It feels like way more time passes there, and then the opposite happens with. I think it's even over a commercial break. They're like, oh, let's just. Uh, uh, I guess we'll do the the uh, um, fixing of the auto destruct right. sequence after the the commercial break. Yeah, that makes and then sense. Data and Jordy. They they materialize within that that wherever Kinteris is the mm-hmm. the evil Picard evil Picard <laughs> right right and then and then they ask where's your transporter room <laughs> <laughs> because I guess you you can only transport in to that spot right you right. can't transport out uh, that come, that happens in Discovery that happens in Star Trek Disco when you can't it transport does. anywhere it does indeed. <laughs> uh, a couple of other notes that we want to talk about just before we start closing this up. Um, 
that is of course uh jonathan frakes playing the trombone uh oh. everybody who doesn't know he's a it's a fantastic he's bone a player yeah he is <laughs> why do yeah. actors always want to put in this stuff they can do like, have you can you write in that scene where i sing i want people to know that i can sing see i don't you're yes. always auditioning yes but also <laughs> like when people find out you can do weird shit they're always looking for ways right. to to make you do weird shit. Like if he could spin plates on pool sticks, would they put that in there somehow? It was on your special skills. Can we write that into an episode? I don't think I would demand to play trombone if I were in Star Trek, but maybe I would. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, does Lisa know the connection between uh, Riker and Fish? Jonathan no, Frakes and I Fish? I don't either. Tell oh, me. Oh, wow. Yeah, Holy cow, so I might be able to get her to watch the show. In, uh, I think it's Hoist, there's a track called Riker's Mailbox. Uh, and it's like 10 seconds long. And it's just Jonathan Frakes on the bone. Uh, and he's doing like a solo. He's doing like... And there's all this like cacophony of music of Fish playing behind there. Uh, and apparently it's like a little... I don't know how true this is, but I remember told this this urban legend so i'll i'll believe it here i'm not even looking this up this is from full-on memory here oh wow um, <laughs> but that uh jonathan frakes lived near where trey anastasio lives and uh one time uh commented on his mailbox and is like is it, are you actually jonathan frakes like you know are you is that who you are and he's like yeah i was in and they you know started telling they exchanged that you know Riker plays the trombone and he invited him in a session to record a, a song with fish Apparently, that's all of it totally sucked. true. That's absolutely true. All of it was terrible. Absolutely, and they just, something Trey Anastasia would do. They just used that one little bit um, and put it on, put it on that album during. It's that on moment. Hoist. Riker's it's on Hoist. Hoist. Mailbox. Riker's Mailbox. Well, Lisa will know the song, so I can run it by her. You know, instantly if it's uh, got cred. I think it goes into Axilla right after that. Um, that's like Billy Bob Thornton playing on Warren Zevon's last album. Yeah, like who would have thought that? Okay. Um, so we mentioned Majel Barrett uh, on, on a previous episode as Lux, Luxana Troy and the voice of the computer. But apparently, according uh, to some folks, this is actually her first appearance on TNG as the computer. And she's all throughout this episode. Yeah. Oh, my God. Down. They have a scene where Riker and Picard go up to the holiday computer and they have, I counted it, nine interactions with the computer back and forth. I mean, it is the longest bit of exposition I remember in Star Trek, ending with, am I to believe that the binaries have taken command of the Enterprise? <laughs> and I do she not says, have that information. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck good are you? It is a game of 20 questions, though, because they genuinely are confused and they're trying to figure out, instead of just saying, like, what's going on, you know, because you can't just ask a computer that he had to narrow it down to what what lots what data was important. Questions. Does it ha does it have two legs or four legs? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I need more of like, is there anyone on the bridge? And more no. than one computer voice too. <laughs> yeah, and then that's an odd thing. There was a male right. voice the, on there. But wasn't that on the ship or on the uh, station? No, it was and in the engineering. When engineering. Was going to okay. Engineering. Because I wrote that down, too. I'm like, what the fuck? That's <laughs> un uncredited <laughs> voice. Uh, who all do you think that is? Who do you think is, is talking? You know, about? you know, it was just a placeholder voice that they forgot to get recorded in, in right. the session with Majel. And so they were like, just put it in. It's some sound audio engineer. Wait, Gene, or said, Gene, 
Gene said, you know what? Totally. A lady could never handle uh, the pressure oh. of uh, <laughs> a self-destruct. So we need to have a man do this. Right. Oh, that's right. cold because it's actually I believe it was Major Barrett was number one. That's what you were referencing. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, Greg's head just exploded. Yeah, like that's like the fourth time during this conversation, you guys. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's all I had on 11001001. Uh, final thoughts on this from you, Eric, as I see you scanning. Oh yeah. No, my final, the final thing I wrote down was not kind to Riker. Uh, he, it, like the last thing he says is something like, it's going to be tough to forget her. Mm. And I'm like, why the fuck do you have to forget her? Like, if you can't fuck it, you got to forget it. Like, what's oh the God, deal, man? Right. Yeah. It's okay to remember that you had this little weird-ass flirtation. Right. Like, and it was an hour, basically, where she was reflecting you back to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. There's a lot to unpack with that right thing. I'm not, not sure we adequately went into it because we were distracted by all the other things. Uh, so, Kate, what are, what are your final thoughts? Uh, guess what I remembered? What? Could have been so beautiful. Could have been so right. I remember. Yes, Tiffany Hot. is back. <laughs> Hell yeah! Give her a mall. She is doing the Rocky pose at the top of the stairs. I blacked out for like the first ten minutes of this podcast. I don't think you'll hear my voice at all because I was just sitting there thinking, "I gotta remember this." Fucking yeah, your brain. Song. Your brain is going. <laughs> Well, success. You did it. You did it. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's all I have to say. That's all I have that's to say. <laughs> Done. Except for, okay, all right. Picard behind the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. Picard, take the wheel. Like Amazing. Like pecking it like he's doing, like me, right. my grandma on a computer. Right. Like... <laughs> Why the fuck do we have 500 people that's all you have to do to fly this fucking thing? <laughs> There's no reason we need Jordy, Data, or anybody else. No, he he earned that. <laughs> oh. With his dainty fingers that he doesn't want to <laughs> chip his fingernail. Beep, 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 beep. And here we go. It, really, it truly reminded me at, of the beginning of that a music video from the early 90s with that KLF is going to rock you. Like, that's what he did. And, this, and the starship went home. Uh, th- only one of three times where he takes the con, by the way. This is the first uh, time in uh, this journey. Jimmy, what are your final thoughts? Uh, my final thoughts is I love to see um, Picard cock block the Riker maneuver. <laughs> when he finally comes when he first enters uh and this is you know top one two or three of season one episodes i mean this really is true sci-fi i mean this is a really cool alien a great sci-fi idea um it's sci-fi it's in space it's all about technology computers and the things that i love about science fiction so it was super fun to see see them actually dip their toes into space and space stuff and in <laughs> sci-fi things so i really enjoyed this episode despite the fact that the douche level of, of riker is like at 10 plus i mean this guy is a creep 
I would not want my daughters around this man because he is dirty. And note, there's no Troy in this episode. No Troy! Which I think is purposeful and smart. Yeah. <laughs> it is very, very much on the heels of previous episodes, both with the uh, um, malfunction of the holodeck, Troy's wedding, uh, and all these things. It's all kind of informing right. it. And I like that even though this is episodic, they all play on each other. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we saw him sleep with the head of state last week, right? Yeah. And now yeah. he's uh, <laughs> trying to bang the holodeck. He's got rebounds galore. <laughs> I wanted to say one more thing. Sure. This one was about the binars with Wesley and their their engineer handler who was with them when Wesley goes, can I ask you a question about the binars? And he goes, why not ask them? And you're like, well, that's a nice progressive little moment. And then Wesley goes, what are those sounds you're making at each other? <laughs> and you're like, and the engineer didn't even like make a move to be like, no, Dude, not that's that, not terrible. That. <laughs> Don't talk about the sound. Oh, that was fascinating as a moment. Very true. Uh, and then that's a that's a really good note uh, that I, I forgot to mention, too, is uh, as they're being introduced by Evil Picard, uh, right. you know, yes. they make sure to say that they are not uh, any gender she, and that right. they have right. this combined being. And then Riker mm-hmm. keeps calling them gentlemen. Gentlemen, if this is the future, then which yeah. is another reason. to And they are played by four women. That's true. Oh, are they? OK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't lot... see sex, so I didn't know that. <laughs> you're, you're, oh, you're... Jimmy G. <laughs> yeah, uh... could have been so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, this episode. Uh, it is uh, one of my highlights, I think, uh, so far from from the season because it does uh, combine one of my favorite things, which is watching a ship go into a star dock penetration. Uh, as well as a lot of boning. <laughs> no, I played the trombone when I was a kid, and I used I called it a bone, but it was always very clearly why I was saying that. Uh, <laughs> the fact what it, slang calls it that ah, it just doesn't make any sense. But anyway, you were a big mighty mighty Boston. I really was. I always wanted to be yes. the, the dancing guy because I didn't have I didn't have any <laughs> musical skill whatsoever, but I could get down with your music. That's musical skill. I can scot up with the best of them. Uh, and that's what I want to do with Riker now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you have a horn? I, I don't anymore. No, I, 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 I ended up quit, quitting, I think, in like sixth grade. After, after nine like, months. After got, nine months. <laughs> yeah, it was not long. I was like, I can't Never do had this. one lesson. <laughs> exactly. I'm totally. <laughs> my kid is now playing the clarinet and there are those sounds. I hear him. I hear him often. It's great. Uh, but thank you uh, uh, for discussing all of the ins and outs of this episode. We've got a fantastic one coming up next, which is <laughs> too short a season. That's That's it. And remember, if you have any questions, anything you want to talk about, hit us up on our Twitter feed uh, and we'll scan that and we can bring them into our podcast live. That's right. Yeah. We want to start instituting some questions. So if you know what we're going to be talking about uh, up ahead of time, uh, definitely watch and submit some questions via Twitter and we will be able to engage with them or perhaps even re-engage with them. Uh, Until then, uh, let's go get our pants wet.
sounds fun. I was trying to get a, a episode themed ending there on pants. <laughs> Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Re-Engage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage. Re-engage.